know, it's always encouraging to have someone pray for you. I, Kyle was praying for me, and I could hear my mother over there praying for me. Thank you, Mom. Everyone loves a mother's love. It's good to be speaking to you guys today, and I will be continuing in the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 4, and we will be preaching on the woman at the well. This past week, my eighth graders had been going through the age of exploration. So they've been learning about Christopher Columbus and some of the explorers and, and why they started to explore and, why, and how they discovered the new world. Many of them were exploring to find new sea routes, and ultimately, they were exploring to, to gain wealth. We learned about Hernando Cortez and how he conquered the Aztecs, and in doing so, got extremely wealthy from the Aztec gold, and this only encouraged more and more explorers. One of these explorers was named Ponce de Leon. Ponce de Leon would end up exploring Puerto Rico, parts of Cuba, uh, a little bit into Mexico, but he's really well known for establishing one of the first Spanish cities in what would be present day Florida. And as he explored, he came in contact with many Native Americans, the natives. And he started to hear rumors of this spring bubbling up. And anyone who drinks of this spring, because the spring had magical powers, it could heal them. It, it would uh, cure them of any physical ailment and it would actually restore them to their youth. Ponce de Leon appropriately named this the Fountain of Youth. And he made it his lifetime goal to find this fountain. And unfortunately, Ponce de Leon, he died in 1521 from a poison dart arrow. So he was unsuccessful in his search for the Fountain of Youth. Now, here in 2023, not much has changed. We are still looking for this mythical fountain of youth. We are constantly looking for the magical waters that promise life. We search well after well looking for this water. This constant search is the pursuit of happiness. And at times we may think we have found it. Something that satisfies our thirst. Only to lose the Detroit Lions week one. That hurts. You see, the search for the fountain of youth will end the same way that Ponce de Leon's did. It'll end in death unless you find the true source. Long before Ponce de Leon, there was a woman who came to a well. She wasn't exactly searching for the fountain of youth. She was just looking for enough water to get her through her day. And it seems that on this day, God had made a a divine appointment with this woman. If you will, turn to John chapter 4. I'll be started by reading verses 1 through 6. All right, one, 1 through 6. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize them, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus 
wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The thing was, Jesus didn't actually have to go through Samaria. He could have took the long way around, which was quite common for Jews to do. But it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And he went straight through Samaria. And I believe he was on a mission to seek and save the lost. Was it a coincidence that Jesus sat down at the well at that time? I think not. We see in chapter 3, Jesus teaching Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a wealthy, moral, powerful man. And now we see that he's about to have this encounter with a woman at the well. She was immoral, unlearned, socially powerless. In chapter 3, we see Jesus teach Nicodemus that God so loved the world. Yet here he is in Samaria, the very place the Jews hate, ready to show his love. Jesus was ready to show his love, and yet he was tired. When I think of Jesus, I instantly, my mind goes, Jesus, God, Jesus, God. But it's important that we remember, Jesus also was fully man. And I can tell you, it's hard enough for me to show love when I'm fully rested, let alone when I'm tired. I get kind of grumpy. The thing that really kind of stood out to me was Jesus was ready to meet the woman at the well. This woman planned her day to escape the pain and shame. She tried to avoid running into other people of the village. She came to draw her water alone in the heat of the day. And this could only indicate one thing. She was a social outcast. And yet there was Jesus sitting at the well. If you look at the next set of verses, I'll be look, we'll be reading verses 7 through 15. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to, to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to draw, come here to draw water. Now, think about this conversation. Jesus broke all the cultural norms. Here he is in Samaria, already kind of breaking the cultural norm for a Jew traveling through Samaria. He's at this well. He's, he didn't just sit there. He started to speak. He was speaking to a Samaritan. Against cultural norms, speaking to a woman, not just any woman, 
an adulterous woman. He asked her for a drink. He didn't bring anything to drink from. He was going to have to drink from her vessel, her, what she brought. And we can see the response of the woman. It completely catches her off guard. She responds, uh, how is it that you ask me this? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, how this isn't normal. But you see, Jesus tore down the barriers of race and ethnicity, gender. And he was already off to more important things, living water. She then asks him, where is your bucket? How are you going to get that living water? She's not understanding yet. And, it, and oftentimes Jesus uses the physical world to help teach spiritual truths. It kind of reminds me of Nicodemus in the previous chapter asking, how do you get to be born again? How does that work? It's the same kind of the same thing. And again, I, the Samaritan woman is kind of the mirror image of Nicodemus. She also sensed some kind of claim of superiority. You know, here, here he is a Jew. The Jews think we're, they're better than us. So she asks him, are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus answered her. He said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So basically, Jesus did answer and said, um, ma'am. I am superior to Jacob. My gift is superior. My water is superior. My well is superior. My sons and daughters are superior. They have eternal life. But she's still not quite seeming to quite understand because she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Because, man, my bucket is heavy. I'd love to not have to come here anymore. I don't think she's still quite at the point of understanding what Jesus is saying. And there's five things I, I don't want us to miss about what Jesus says about the water. In verse 10, he says it's a gift of God. He says it's living water. This water is alive. He says if you drink it, you will never be thirsty again. It's always there to satisfy your soul. Um, This water becomes a spring, a well of water. That's why you never get thirsty again. It's not because one drinks enough. It's because one true drink produces a well for an eternity of drinks. And the last thing he says about this water is it gives eternal life. Now, the woman's not quite understanding that Jesus wanting to give, give her himself and this living water. So Jesus gently exposes how dry her life is. So if you will, let's look at the next section of verses, verses 16 through 26. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And 
Sorry. You will... You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for the salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus exposes the dryness in her life by saying, go call your husband. Jesus knew this was a sore spot for her. As we can see, she'd been married five times. He risked making her angry, causing her to get upset. Maybe her walking away without any any kind of healing. Jesus exposed her sin, but he gave not one word of condemnation. I think this woman knew her condition. She was full of shame. That's why she was at the well in the heat of the day. But she didn't really know what to do about it. You see, we are all searching for that living water until we find it. We look high, we look low for this living water. This woman had gone to the well of adultery. We don't know the exact circumstances of this woman or why she'd been married five times. But Jesus uses this to show her the need for this living water. Now, listen, if we're not careful, we will start to draw water from all kinds of wells. The wells of greed, materialism, the wells of lust and pornography, the wells of entertainment, the wells of laziness. Or, like this woman, we may draw water from the wells of relationships and adultery. Now, listen to me. Jesus tells us this, the water from these wells do not quench our thirst. And we'll have to go there from time after time unless we drink from the well of Jesus. This water is the living water, the only water that can satisfy our souls. And at this point... I get the feeling the woman was feeling a little nervous. She's a little uncomfortable. When people know things about her personal life and bring them up in conversation, it gets kind of awkward. Right? And what does she try to do? She tries to change the subject is what it looks like to me. She asks him a question. Where is the proper place to worship? She points to the division between the Jews and the Samaritans. Which place to worship? Our father says to worship here. Yours says to worship there. And she, she kind of responds with a denominational type of question. Some, something that maybe Methodists and Baptists would disagree on, right? Or Mennonites and Baptists. You name it. And she asks this question in the face of salvation. And I think she's initially trying to debate some religion with Jesus to deflect from her inner turmoil of her heart. It kind of reminded me of the story that I, I read this past week and it was this Methodist talking to a Baptist and and the Methodist was trying to get the Baptist to be a to be a Methodist. And he asked the Baptist, why are you a Baptist? And you know, the Baptist responds, well, my daddy was a Baptist and his daddy was a Baptist. So I'm a I'm a Baptist. And the Methodist says, well, that don't make sense. What if your daddy was a fool and his daddy was a fool? What would that make you? And the Baptist said, well, then I'd be a Methodist. <laughs> You see, you see, where we worship is not nearly as important as the attitude during worship or the object of our worship. 
We see Jesus that went along with the woman's conversation, telling her since the God is spirit, he is not limited to any one place at any one time. God is everywhere and can be worshipped anywhere. We must worship the right person for it to be true worship. Jesus tells us we must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, he also tells us we can worship anywhere. Now, that doesn't mean don't come to church. We later see in Hebrews, it tells us not to forsake the assembly. Church is important. And we must worship for the right purpose, because the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, I've heard people say, well, I don't go to that church because I don't get anything out of it. I don't like that saying. Because, well, you don't. You didn't go to church to get something out of it. You go to church to put something in it. And you go to church to worship. And if you're trying to get something out of it, you're wanting a blessing. And you, as, as I read the Bible, I find that it says, bless the Lord all over the place. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in with, within me. Bless his holy name. I think the secret to worship is... Forgetting about yourself and and worshiping him. And when you start to worship him, the blessings will follow. Many of the blessings are blessings you already have that you're too ignorant to realize. So stop trying to be blessed and start worshiping God. After Jesus explains worship, the woman responds. I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Apparently, this woman had some idea about the promised one. She had some, some knowledge. But, and I think she artfully brings up the Messiah because I don't know if she directly wanted to ask if this is who Jesus was. So she brings up the idea of the Messiah, and I think she did this intentionally. And Jesus responds. And did he ever respond? He says, I who speak to you am he. And I believe this is at the point which the woman discovered the living water. Uh, Verses 27 through 30. So we had this, this conversation and just then... Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. We can see the response of the disciples as they came back, very surprised by Jesus. He's breaking the cultural norms, <laughs> but they didn't dare ask anything. I think they probably learned their lesson at this point. Jesus must break the cultural norms must have been a normal thing for the disciples to see. It's because they didn't ask about it, but they, they pondered it. But we also can see the response of the woman. She was excited by the news that she had gained and forgot even why she was there. She ran back to town and left her water jar behind. She went to town and told everyone about Jesus. She went to the men and told them. And now 
If I was one of those men, I'd be like, I bet you met a man, probably man number seven. That's probably what I would be thinking, right? But yet, her excitement, we can see, brought, the, brought them back to the well. This woman got a taste of the living water and couldn't, and couldn't keep it to herself. Now, I think about Ponce de Leon. What if he actually did discover the Fountain of Youth? I imagine his response probably would have been to hide it and keep it to himself. Or maybe to bottle it up and try to profit off it. The woman that encountered Jesus that day was much more successful than Ponce de Leon ever was. She found the Fountain of Youth. Ponce de Leon searched a whole continent for the Fountain of Youth. And really all he had to do was search scripture and he would have found it. His name is Jesus. You see... This woman, instead of keeping the fountain to herself, she chose to tell everyone that she knew. She wasn't scared. She wasn't scared of the stairs. She didn't feel the shame anymore. She had experienced Jesus' love, and she wanted to share it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are the well. The well of of living water, and and um, I just pray that all of us can find that well and drink of your drink your water, and and when we drink that water, that we can share it with others. In your name, I pray. Amen.